Bonveau is, you know, one place on the planet, and but each of us, each of us is one point in the human family, and if we look at things clearly, we see the whole in each part, which is a definition of beauty. Beauty is the perception of the experience of the whole appearing or manifesting in the part or a part of the whole. So, being aware of who we are and where we are and of the different parts of our life is uh, an important element in our journey to wholeness. And if we don't see that, experience the relationship between the part and the whole, if we don't discover our own essential beauty, goodness, with all our faults, somebody once said, there is no beauty that does not have some disproportion in it. There is, there is no beauty that is not that is doesn't have a flaw. I, I, I think there's a, a, a tribe of uh, Afghans or somewhere or Indians maybe who make uh, carpets very detailed, geometrically complex carpets. And when they finished a carpet, uh, which is has to be perfect, they will put in a deliberate piece of imperfection to, uh, to show that they are not pretending to be God, because only God is perfect. So it's a, it's a humble recognition of the imperfection of our experience of beauty. But anyway, if we are able to see uh, our own beauty, because it's because we are able to see ourselves as functioning and growing within a whole. And I think all the problems of life arise from that. All the challenges, all the conflicts, all the violence, all the sin, all the illusion in the world arise from that. Confrontation between the perception we have of ourselves as separate, as a part that wants to remain apart, separate, and uh, yet our longing to belong, to participate, and to contribute to, and to, and to celebrate the wholeness that we belong to and that belongs to us. And there is a... That is the, the conflict of life. It's why we meditate. It's why meditation is difficult. It's why we come to, together to meditate, physically sit with each other and meditate. Why we create communities that meditate and teach meditation. Uh, it, I think it's all out of that essential conflict. And that's why for all the imperfections of human individuals and human 
organizations, we can say that, that meditation makes a difference and communities that teach meditation or groups that meditate make a difference to the world around them, maybe in a small and imperceptible and apparently ridiculous way. It's not about filling Yankee Stadium with uh, 200,000 meditators and getting a great feeling of success and celebrity, which doesn't last very long. But it's about building a steady, continuous uh, practice at the heart of the world with enough people doing it to make a difference. But that is not only hard work, it's, it's an impossible work actually. It's a work that is in a way doomed to failure. But it's a work that has to be done uh, because there are brief moments of success or moments of fulfillment uh, which are usually not the result of your planning or your intentions but happen accidentally and they make a difference. So I say all that because uh, we've been here in Bombeau this week. It's a place that is dedicated to this belief that meditation makes a difference to the individual, it brings about a personal transformation to those who practice it, but with difficulty and with a great challenge. Because what is meditation, first of all? And am I actually going to do it? And how important is this practice to me? So what is meditation? The Dalai Lama says, just because somebody sits down in the perfect lotus position and looks really holy and closes their eyes and sits still, doesn't mean they're meditating. So we have to be quite discriminating about what meditation is. And for that we need to go back to the, to the great traditions. Rather than to the laboratories and the research projects, uh, you know, which measure, measure the physical and psychological and neurological changes that meditation brings about. That's interesting. It, it does remind us of the fact that we are a whole person. But it doesn't give us the meaning. The meaning is necessary for us to grasp if we are to practice it in our own lives, if it's to become a reality in our own lives. So it's from the great spiritual wisdom traditions, all of which testify to the centrality of this experience and to the, and to the beauty of it and to the demand it makes on us. None of them say that meditation is about relaxation. None of them say in a simple commercial way meditation is about self-fulfillment. They give us the truth about it. And it, it's, it's a hard truth for the modern consumer mind. Because we want to reduce whatever we come across, whatever we meet, we want to reduce it 
to something that we can package and possess within our own part of reality, our own particular little universe. And that's, that has been the truth of the ego from, from the beginning of history, but it's a, happening in a, a very powerful way today that is threatening the survival of our planet and of our humanity. And this virus that's running around at the moment um, symbolizes symbolizes something something about the how easily a wrong perception can infiltrate into a human group and take over we've seen it happen you know many times in history sort of in the french revolution when you went from the revolution to the to the reign of terror Saw it in Germany, I saw it in, in, in Cambodia. I see it happening in, in China at the moment with the dehumanization of the society through facial recognition and total control. So a virus or an illusion of an untruth can enter into any human group or into the whole, apparently now, into the whole human family. And we need to be very clear and honest about it in the way we recognize it in ourselves. Because those symptoms will appear in each of us. The same symptoms that are appearing in society as a whole are appear, will appear in us. And how can we see that in ourselves except by comparison between ourselves and others? In other words, we need community, a healthy community to be able to distinguish between dysfunctionality and health. Because if we don't have anything to compare it with, we don't have the test of, of, of other people's perspective and knowledge of us and our knowledge of them, then dysfunctionality becomes the new norm. So we see that in it's been happening in American society. Nobody could believe that Donald Trump could become president. Then he became president. Then nobody believed it could continue. And the likelihood is, is that he will be re-elected. So the unimaginable has become the new norm. So what difference can we make? For many people today, I think they, they feel I can make no difference. What difference can I make? As long as we think of ourselves as merely as individuals, as a part of the whole, but don't see that the whole is in, our, is in each part, as long as we think of ourselves as sort of a, a cell of the body of Christ, rather than realizing that the whole body of Christ is in each of us, then we will be able, we will be convinced and we will be able to convince ourselves that there's nothing I can do. I think that's why we, we, we sort of made a celebrity out of Greta. 
because here is a here is a young girl who's you know found her voice and her de- way of dealing with her personal affliction autism you know by by standing up in front of the world and the powers that be and uh, and articulating the outrage and the and the pain and and the sh- and the shame uh, that we all feel of, because of what we are doing to the planet and doing nothing about it. Well, what can I could I could I do about it? I'll turn off lights. I'll you know recycle my vegetables. But what difference can I make? So you have one quirky prophetic little individual like Greta and she becomes a celebrity but and we it attracts our attention for a while but if and I think for a lot of for a lot of young people people her age and and older there is now an increasing disengagement from the world of politics and of um, social action, except in terms of protest. But actually doing something about it, except rather than just protesting, well, what can I do? So there's a disengagement, especially from politics, which means that you know, the future of democracy is, uh, is, is, is in question because you speak to a group of undergraduates today and you ask them what do they think about democracy and they'll say, well, it doesn't seem to have worked very well. Maybe there are other forms of government we should look at. You know, maybe a benevolent dictator is the best thing we need, which is playing into the hands of the extreme right, of course, who are always looking for a strong leader to take over. So, I, I, I think uh, we need to face uh, these difficult and unpleasant and frightening uh, questions on our spiritual journey. We can discuss whether the way I'm expressing it is right or not, but clearly we face a crisis of multiple, multiple dimensions and proportions. So, does our meditation make a difference? We know it makes a difference to us individually. And we see the struggle we have to put the second meditation in, or even to do the first meditation. We want to do it, but we find it very difficult. That's what Saint Paul said, I, what I want to do, I do not do. What I don't want to do, that is what I find myself doing. Well, that's the perfect, that's the perfect uh, conflict within the psyche to produce massive self-deception and illusion. Because we convince ourselves, like any addict, that although I don't want to do this, it's okay for me to do it because I deserve it or because, uh, you know, it's okay for me to do it. And that plays out, of course, at the collective level as well, massive self-deception. 
you spend millions of billions of dollars on conferences for environmental uh, controls and we do nothing about it. So, the, 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 the turning point, I think, comes only with the experience, first of all, at the deepest personal level, in the solitude of our own hearts, where we discover that the whole, the wholeness of God and the wholeness of the cosmos is, is, it dwells in us. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And that that discovery releases uh, a surprising and amazing experience of love. And that begins a process of transformation, of liberation, which is going to be very difficult and which we have to decide over and over again every day to accept. But once that um, personal discovery has been made, that the whole exists in me as a part of the whole, then if we bump into other people, a few other people, very few probably, who have the same experience or the same intuition or the same hope, then community begins to form. But that again is the beginning of an of a immense, immense work and, and struggle and very, with great demands. Because exactly the same struggle that we feel within ourselves about being true to this new experience or new intuition that we are gaining has to be uh, lived out uh, collectively. And then uh, that small little uh, group, that small little community that's forming, meditation creates community, that small little community then has to relate to to the larger world and to other, bump into other clusters and communities or groups or networks in which this same experience of wholeness can begin to <coughs> translate into action, social action, change of, change of leadership and prophetic uh, prophetic telling of the truth at the, at the social and political level, institutional level. So how on earth do we get, it's like the old Chinese saying, if you want to change, what is it, if you want to change the individual, change the family, if you want to change the family, change the village, if you want to change the village, change the country, if you want to change the country, change the world. That's, of course, the only realistic way it can happen and make a change, make a difference. Otherwise, we're just writing books and, and dreaming idealistically. <coughs> so, what makes that 
almost virtually impossible task of transformation possible from the from the individual that's difficult enough then to the community and then to the to the to the planet what makes it what makes it possible to join up the dots and to to create a trend, an experience of the whole, the wholeness, the experience of the spirit that can be transmitted and can become a positive virus rather than the virus of illusion and of self-destruction. And because of the technology we've created, because of the powers of communication we've, we've created and because of the speed of life we've created, the, the, um, the risks and, on the one hand, and the potential, on the other hand, have never been greater. Because whatever we do today translates very quickly into the global. You just need one person to go into a shopping mall with a gun and for 15 minutes he becomes a world celebrity. So things go viral and global very quickly, both for good and for evil. So what makes it possible for us to approach our own personal meditation we have to start with that. And we have to say, do I believe in this? And how much do I believe in it? And how much credit do I give it? How much, how seriously do I take it? And is it just the relaxation? Is it just for, to feel good? Or is it about an actual transformation of myself? And what am I prepared, how open, and how committed am I prepared to be? Maybe, maybe that's a question that takes 20 or 30 years to answer. The important thing is that we're listening to the right questions. And, um, and then at each other stage of that process, we have to go through the same reinvestment of ourselves. So the, I think the answer I would propose to that question is faith. That what changes us, heals us, is faith. And faith is about relationship. And relationship is about commitment. And relationship, you know, if, if we're talking about short-term relationships, transactions that we don't allow to grow into uh, discoveries of the divine, then relationships will not provide us with the means of, of developing our faith, that quality 
of commitment to the truth, which Jesus says is what heals us, what makes us whole. Faith, your faith has healed you, not your belief. He doesn't say you have to believe on all these catechism answers or all these dogmatic uh, principles. He says you have to have faith. And faith is about relationship. And relationship is about people. And, and it begins with your faith in yourself. If you cannot be faithful to yourself, you cannot therefore be faithful to anyone else very effectively. So every time we sit to meditate, or even the desire to meditate, is an investment of faith in ourselves. We're putting faith in ourselves. And if we are really meditating, and not just playing on the surface of what we call meditation, playing around with a form of narcissism, then, however badly we meditate, however imperfectly we meditate, we are making a difference. And that difference evolves into a, the process of a personal transformation over time. That's what then sends us out with the capacity to be faithful to people and to a vision or to a community or to a work or to a family uh, that is beyond ourselves and that is constantly, constantly drawing us out of ourselves. Lovingly and with, with immense forgiveness because for every step of faith we, we make there is usually a, 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 an act of infidelity. So we have to factor that in to our journey of faith, that it will be punctuated with failures, where we withdraw the commitment we've made, or we withdraw the hope that we have allowed ourselves to, to feel and to practice. Because hope is, is a choice, or a consent not a dream or a fantasy. Hope, the real hope is a, is a consent to the fundamental insight that the whole exists, that wholeness exists, and that we are part of the whole and the whole lives in us. That's the source of hope. So, anyway, I, I, some rather disconnected remarks maybe, but drawing attention to the fact that as we come to the end of the retreat and we've had some very wonderful moments where people have shared what this time and what Bombo here and time here has, has, helped, has helped them with, what you have gained or what you have had insight or what you, whatever, different ways of expressing it. So I, I raise that really for us to reflect on whether we can see, as we go forth, uh, away from, uh, as, as you leave here tomorrow, 
if you can feel the connection between the, the personal way of faith that meditation is for you, the discipline that that's going to ask, the commitment that's going to ask, to see it as a way of faith, which I think we all would like, we all want, but to see the connection between that and the bigger picture that we belong to. And of course we have to start with the personal and we need to nourish our journey, nourish our commitment with friendship, with wisdom and with reading and with, with interaction and the times of retreat and with meditating with other people. Yes, we have to start with ourselves and look after ourselves, not just indulge ourselves and continually make this distinction between being a part, une partie, and a part. What is a part in French? A part. Okay. There we are. So are we a part of a whole that lives in us and is calling us to be whole? Or are we apart in a way that make, means that we become like a parasite on wholeness? We suck what we, what we want out of it, the little bit of nectar that we can get, but then we jump to the next, next flower and suck a bit more out. What kind of part are we? <coughs> And if we want to continue to grow in wholeness, and that is what we do want, that's our deepest longing and need, that's what makes us human, rather than a sanglier, that we want to be whole, then we have to have a sense of that connection. Meditation can't just be a me-time-apart activity. It won't take us very far that way. We'll just be jumping from one little flower to the next. So seeing that connection then opens up many wonderful new panoramas of, of ourselves as part of a tradition, as part of a spiritual family that extends behind us in the past and into the future, that we are, that we are involved in communicating. If we see that, life does become a little easier and hope becomes a little more possible. And the other thing that we need, so we need this, this quality of faith that grows out of the practice and is needed in order to sustain the practice, of course. But we also need grace. We've spoken a bit about grace. What is grace? Grace is the help that comes to us from outside ourselves. And yet, enters into us, or emerges from within us. But we do not control. And so we see it as something, as a gift. You can't, if somebody gives you a gift, and it's a, it's a gift that's given with love, 
it, it has a surprising quality to it. It will always surprise you. If you're expecting it, it's just like a, a bonus you get for doing a job. And you complain if you don't get the bonus at the end of the year. But if it's a gift, it, it, probably the person who gave it to you wants you to be surprised by it. Because it becomes a symbol of the nature of grace itself, which is the pure gift of God to us. And if we can see, first of all we have to see how grace is working in our life. We can't identify grace as some kind of energy or commodity and measure it in the laboratory and define it and produce it in a test tube. We cannot treat God as if God were an object. But we are surrounded by grace. We're swimming in grace. And to the religious mind, God is that in which we live and move and have our being. We are fish in this ocean of grace. So everything is gift. Even suffering is a gift. But um, it takes a little bit longer to, uh, to, to, to see that. But, so grace is, is necessary for us to stay faithful to this journey that we are, we are making from, from personal transformation to our role in... in uh, global transformation. So grace takes us by surprise. Grace manifests in, of course, people and in events and even in the struggle that we are having to get on with it from day to day. Grace manifests everywhere. If we think that grace is only there when things are going well and we're happy and we're fulfilled and we get what we want, then we miss, <coughs> we miss most of it. Grace is there to, to help, to guide, to heal, to inspire to console, to do all the things that grace does according to the needs that we have. No point in, in offering somebody help that they don't need. You have to offer the help that they need. Well, grace recognizes our needs. God knows our needs before we ask. God knows our needs before we even can accurately identify them ourselves. So grace will come to us exactly where we need it. Sometimes it's not where we want it, because we want something illusory, but it will always come to us and touch us in those places and moments of, of need. And once we've begun to experience that, that we are living and moving in grace, surrounded by it, then it's much easier. 
it's much easier for us to to stay faithful to the personal practice and to our uh, participation in the whole. So, so maybe we. I, I thought we, we could um, take a, a bit of time for Lexio uh, sharing this passage of scripture, but maybe we could take a moment to share. Um, on what we have felt this week um, in terms of faith and grace or in terms of our own journey Um, and then we can spend a few minutes with a a parable from the gospel Um, because that's certainly one of the ways in which we can get a fix of grace at any time is to, to turn the page and open uh, a, a book of wisdom and if you have if people have an allergy to, to Christianity then what I recommend to the MBA class is they could they should, they should if they want to continue meditating whether or not they're religious they should you know I suggest that they get a copy of the Upanishads little penguin selection, very short, you can put it in your pocket. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada and the New Testament. And those, whatever other books you might want to buy, uh, those, those would be three perennial sources of wisdom that could become friends for the journey for the rest of your life. And when you needed to be reminded of faith and grace, you, you, you will be reminded of it just by dipping in to those rivers of, uh, of, of wisdom. Um, Another book I would recommend if you're meditating um, is uh, John Main's Daily Readings, uh, each of which, each day, would give you a, a little, a little uh, enrichment or a little inspiration or a little push uh, to continue. A reminder, that's all we need is to be reminded. We don't have to learn new ideas, we just need to be reminded. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will remind you of what you will forget. That's the, Holy, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's like having a, you know, that's, well, somebody who's, who's constantly reminding you of what you forget. 